Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Graith, and I'm one of the leaders at Ember Faith Community. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD candidate at Drew University. For this season of the Ember Podcast, we're talking about the book of Revelation. Whether you're a Christian or not, we hope you'll join us in exploring how the apocalyptic poetry in the book of Revelation challenges power structures, helps us to look at the way we use power, and invites us to resist oppression. This is especially relevant for Christians who are called to witness to God's grace, but we hope the Ember Podcast can help spark meaningful conversations for people who have other beliefs as well. Thanks for tuning in. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of it, the incense, with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets made ready to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet. So this week we're into Revelation chapter 8. And when we met as a worship service, all the way back in October. Kelsey had a, a really interesting read on how she was perceiving a parallel here. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, one of the things about chapter 8, and I think this is a theme that runs through the whole book in some ways, um, is that you start to see kind of a parallel with Genesis and the creation story. You kind of get like the green things of the earth are kind of getting messed up and burned up. This is kind of a very particular thing, but um, the description in Genesis is of, like, green growing things, and I think it's interesting, again, here you get all green grass was burned up. Um, and then you you move into, like, the seas are getting messed up, the rivers, all this water, like the waters above and below, when you think about creation in Genesis. Um, and then you get a third of the moon and a third of the stars um, are destroyed, and there's this move kind of from ordered creation with everything being in its place to this disordered, kind of destructive, chaotic place. And you get at the end of the chapter that this, this isn't over yet. Like, this is just the beginning. There's this kind of spool that's, like, unwinding um, and creation is kind of falling apart in, in a lot of the same patterns in, patterns in which it was put together in the beginning. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it's worth noting that the things that are about to happen are even worse than what's already happened. And if we're imagining ourselves in the world that this is occurring, that's 
horrific. It's like the stuff of terrible Bruce Willis movies. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely some of the stuff that when you see like apocalyptic themed TV shows or movies, like when the sun gets darkened and you know blood starts raining out of the sky, like th- this is kind of that like horrific imagery that you get really strongly. But I do think that, you know, spoiler alert, we're moving towards hope in the end here of this, like, new heaven and new earth. But there's something powerful being said about, like, what has to happen to this world and what kind of things have to be undone in order for that to become a reality. And I think that's something we avoid thinking about a lot because it's ugly and painful and messy. Yeah. There's there's something profound, though, about how it ties creation and destruction together and I think that's a theme not only in Jewish and Christian scriptures but in various religions throughout the world um, of recognizing that for new growth often there's also a loss um, which is something that carries through to our own lives yeah, we were talking earlier, Spoon and I, about First Corinthians and the foolishness of the cross, and that's kind of the same thing. I mean, it's the the wisdom of the cross is that, you know, in the death of the Savior, like, humanity is redeemed. Like, yeah. it's kind of this ridiculous backwards proclamation. Yeah, well, I mean, just to say it pretty, I guess, bluntly, there's no resurrection without a death first. And if that's if that's kind of like where we're staking our faith, which is literally true for the three of us, I mean, there's something about this idea that God does not destroy anything without an equally powerful impulse to renew or recreate. It's also telling to me the cosmic scale of all of this. Um, I think we tend in in the church communities where we come from to talk a lot about our personal faith and uh, our, our personal salvation, but nothing in revelation is, is talking about your individual um, claim to any of this. It's very much all of creation that's involved, um, which to me is kind of hopeful. Like we're part of a larger whole. We are a part of this larger creation. Um, and it's also, I mean, that's a hope, and it's also scary. Um, as the, as we read this, I was thinking about all the ecological concerns that are a very real uh, problem right now. And uh, I think sometimes we forget how connected we all are and how, how much that matters. Um, but we are reliant on the environment that we live in, so... I think this this text in particular brings that out for me. And I think in some ways it speaks to the dominion language in Genesis 2. Like if you remember in the creation story, like human beings are created and then told like to have dominion kind of over the earth and, and stuff. And that's been used in a way to say like, oh, well, if we have dominion over this, then we can use it however we please. We have no responsibility to care for this. Like it's a resource for us and we can you know, more or less exploit it as we choose to. But I think really what that's getting at and what this kind of echoes is that the earth is part of this good creation 
And, like, as human beings, we are called to be good stewards of it, not just to exploit it for our, our needs. And when you think about when we think about Revelation, the first thing we always think about is, like, is human salvation, I think, in a lot of ways. And this is telling a different story. Yeah. It's saying something. I mean, on one hand, it's saying something about, like, God's ultimate sovereignty over all of it, right? But also, there's this kind of, we're in this together. I mean, it's it's not just like, well, I'm saved and, well, sorry about you. It, I mean, there is something about the interconnectedness. And I, I think as we progress in the next couple of chapters, one of the things that I really love and really appreciate about Revelation in a new way now is how clearly I can see how that kind of plays out, especially in the next three or four chapters. Yeah, it's not just a new humanity. It's a new heaven and a new earth. So when I, the first time we read through this, what really stood out to me, uh, both when we worshiped together and uh, when we read this for our podcast, was the prayers of the saints are the contents of this censor um, bowl um, that get thrown down on the earth. Which to me is really powerful, this idea of all of the prayers physically being lifted up to heaven and existing in a bowl that can then be thrown down. Um, both in, in a way that putting myself in the position of the original recipients of this work um, as someone who's feeling oppressed, uh, who is being oppressed, um, what my prayers would be and getting that message of hope that your prayer you not only are you praying your prayers they are being contained in this bowl which is going to play an integral part in you know the coming eventually salvation of the of creation um so on one hand there's that which is really cool and then on the other hand it's really disturbing to me that these prayers are the agents of destruction in some sense. Um, that's a really dramatic scene to me. You're up in heaven and this angel's like casting down this bowl. It's, it's hard to think of prayers that way as destructive. Especially for those of us who kind of sit in this place of privilege when usually our prayers are like, oh, please let me pass this test or, you know, oh, please let me be able to go to this concert or, you know, stuff that not to diminish the fact that people in privilege have real struggles, you know, and have experienced loss and grief like everybody else. But I think as a someone who's coming from a measure of privilege, I think it's easy to read that as kind of like an icky thing without realizing the fact that. And for some communities, like, you know, the one that maybe were the original recipients of this, like, that might be the only power and the only voice they have. And for it to be so, like, personified and captured in that way as an actual physical entity, I think, gives power and voice to people that really had none anywhere else. Yeah. And thinking about sort of the, the overall scriptural pattern the thing that makes God angry is often injustice and when people aren't aren't being fair and aren't exhibiting the kind of justice that God would have. And I think there's something too, like maybe it's not the prayers that are actually in, they're not destructive in and of themselves, 
but it's that God actually is listening and it matters to God that like in our own context, um, like the parents of a kid who gets shot at a traffic stop or like the refugees that get turned away and depending upon, you know, maybe what news that you're reading or watching, you're either fearing or you want to embrace and give a home to. I mean, there are so many people still in our world that are, are looking for something that resembles justice and are so far from it. And I mean, hearing, I mean, hearing what you're both saying, I think it's so powerful to think that, you know, God is listening and God does care and God is, is legitimately angry for wrongs against God's own people. Well, and then there's that verse in Luke that says, you know, even if the disciples are silent, the stones would shout out. And here, I mean, Jesus is hanging out with the disciples and the Pharisees are giving them a hard time. But I think it says something, too, about kind of tying together the prayers of the saints in the beginning and this kind of creation language that happens throughout the chapter. Like, what if the prayers of the saints are not just, you know, our human prayers, but the entire groaning of creation? What if that's all rolled in together? This week, we invite you to hold in prayer those in our world who are praying, God, enough. Tear it down. Those whose prayers are desperate and visceral. As we work through this text, we want to make sure that we are also in conversation with you, our listeners. So we invite you to reach out to us with questions, comments, and we'll be addressing these as we go on in subsequent podcasts. You can send your questions to emberfaithcommunity at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved, 2017.